Good morning, church. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? (laughs) And no, I'm not Jordan, but all right. Our reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ, the word of the Lord. Thank you. Yes, you may be seated. Well, I'm Jordan, not Miller. (laughs) It's my brother, in case you can't tell. The Rabin genes are strong. Uh, My name is Jordan Rabin. If you're new here, I'm the associate minister at this church. Once again, thank you for coming. Um, You may have noticed that we had a lot of, uh, we have a lot of young leaders up today. We had Zeke leading us in worship, Kendall leading us. Uh, We had my brother Miller reading scripture for us. Uh, You got me instead of that old guy you normally get. Um, (laughs) You know, at LifePoint, we are passionate about raising up the next generation of leaders. And so thank you for giving us opportunities to uh, bless you and, and serve you. And once again, thank you for worshiping with us. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and take out your Bibles and open up to the passage we just read in Colossians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'm going to take a few moments and, and address um, uh, the significance of today. Um, obviously, on every year on September 11th, we remember um, the... Um, the tragedy that happened 21 years ago uh, when 3,000 innocent people uh, were um, perished in, um, in, a, in a terrible and tragic um, act of destruction and wickedness. We remember the thousands of civilians whose lives were lost as they were just going to work or getting on a plane. We remember the hundreds of incredibly brave first responders who do what men do in situations like that. They run headlong into the danger to save and rescue human life. And so we remember and acknowledge that we do what what we said we would do. We never forget. We remember. This week, as I was reading a little bit about the aftermath of uh, the terrorist attacks, I came across a story of a photographer named Joel Meyerwitz who spent nine months uh, like capturing the dig out and the rebuilding efforts there at Ground Zero. And so as he was kind of standing on this mountain of debris, you know, taking these pictures and, and, and documenting what was happening, um, uh, he was standing where the South Tower was and a firefighter yelled for him, said, you know, come, come here, I want you to see what I, what I just found. And uh, he, Joel ran over and found something, you know, the firefighter was holding this, this thing in his hand and what remains was, uh, it was the remains of a Bible which was melted into a chunk of steel that had somehow survived the devastation of the day. Look at the screen here, look at this. Uh, first, but can you go back to the uh, the first one real quick? You can kind of see. So you can kind of see like the whole uh, chunk of steel there. You have this passage of the King James Bible, and what's really actually pretty incredible about this, I'm not really one for like uh, like over spiritualizing everything, but this is this is pretty incredible. 
Uh, so go to the next picture. The, the only passage that's really visible there is the passage out of Matthew 5 where the Lord talks about, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, but I say that do not resist the one who is evil, turn the other cheek, do not retaliate. Uh, and so it's actually interesting that you kind of have this message of, of, I'm not making a political statement here, by the way, I'm just going to freak out, but listen, just take this for what it is, okay? This is interesting. Um, <laughs> So the man actually took the Bible back to his studio and uh, later donated it to the 9-11 Museum to serve as a reminder of the power of the Word of God to stand amidst chaos and destruction. This gives us a vivid picture of the enduring power of the Word of God. Among the carnage and the rubble, the Word of God endured. Uh, We are reminded that the grass will wither and the flower will fall, but the Word of God will remain forever. But this also... um, gives us a picture, sort of what Paul's message was to the, to the people in Colossae, in, in the book of Colossians. Remember what we've spoken about in Colossians so far. Colossae was spiritually bankrupt. It was a morally corrupt society that served a whole pantheon of pagan gods. Now, this put extreme pressure on the church to compromise its theological conviction. But this outside pressure was not Paul's main concern. If you remember from previous sermons in the series so far, this is not his main concern. What kept Paul up at night was the prospect of false teaching arising from within the church and leading the people astray. And of course, this is still a threat to churches today and not just unhealthy churches, but even healthy churches. Every church is at risk of the dangers of false teaching maybe even particularly the healthy ones who don't have their guard up. Paul's answer to this is to encourage the Colossians, as we will see today in chapter 2, to fortify themselves, to strengthen themselves by building strong hearts and strong minds. If we, like the Colossians, are going to stand firm in the midst of a broken and corrupt world that serves a whole pantheon of gods, We must have strong hearts and strong minds. If we are going to resist the pressures to conform to this world, we have to plant our hearts and minds firmly upon the foundation of God's word, the word that will stand when everything else comes crashing down. Paul wants the Colossians and us to to have strong hearts and minds so that we may cling to Christ the Lord, abide in his word, and absolutely refuse to compromise the gospel. So let's look again. I want to hone in. Let's let's look again at verse 1. So let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So last week, we saw Pastor R.C. teach us that uh, Paul's motivation for his ministry was to present everyone whole, mature, complete in Christ. This was the vision that uh, compelled Paul to do all that he did. This is what he was working and suffering to do. The Apostle Paul longed to see the Great Commission fulfilled. He longed to see the Great Commission fulfilled. He worked tirelessly to honor Christ's final command to his people before ascending to the right hand of the Father. 
And Paul knew that the Great Commission required all hands on deck. We talked about that a few weeks ago. If disciples weren't being made, then the progress of evangelizing the world for Christ would stop dead in its tracks. And Christ would not get the glory and worship that he is owed from the people of this world. So Paul worked and struggled to cultivate godliness and cultures of discipleship, even among churches who he had not seen yet. He hadn't met the Colossians yet. They'd never seen each other. He says that he struggles in this verse. The word struggle here in the Greek is the word agon. It's where we get our English word agony. Now, in, in context, this is like an athletic word, okay? So I know football's back on, so you're thinking agon, these, these guys who are out there straining, pushing, competing with one another, suffering to do what needs to be done. Yesterday, my brother and I were at the gym together. And we were doing squats, and there was a lot of agon going on there <laughs> under that bar. Paul says that he is struggling for the Christians, not only for the Christians he knew or the churches he planted, but even for all those who have not seen me face to face. Well, this is not only true for the Colossians, but because no one in here has seen Paul face to face, we would even be included in who he was struggling to build up and cultivate godliness within We are included in this group for whom Paul struggles, which means that the concern for the Colossians is a concern for us as well, you and I. And I want you to know that it's with this same spirit that your pastors and ministers here at LifePoint struggle and labor for you. We stay awake at night thinking about you. We help carry your burdens alongside you. Your struggles, your hardships, become our struggles and our hardships, and we wouldn't have it any other way. We pray for you. And we don't just, by the way, that's not just like Christian talk. We mean that. We actually spend time with each other praying for you. When you tell us that something's going on in your life, even when you, we don't know about something, or even when you don't say something to us, but someone else says, hey, this person's sick, this person needs some help, we're praying for you. We're lifting you up before the Lord. We work so that you may know Christ more and more. That, that's what drives us to do what we do here. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> Thank you for allowing us to love you. The call to do ministry is the call to suffer for the sake of the church, to agonize over the people and tirelessly labor to cultivate godliness in the lives of the congregation. And listen, this is not only true for your pastors. This is true for everyone in this room who's involved with leading and discipling here in this church. Those of you who devote large amounts of your time and your energy into teaching, leading, loving your life groups and your D groups. Listen, Discipleship is truly agonizing, but it's worth it. It's a beautiful thing. Discipleship is about availing ourselves to more and more of Jesus Christ. Not just learning more facts about him, but seeing him as more beautiful, captivating, mesmerizing, enthralling, See, the false teachers in Colossae were probably claiming that they had in themselves this sort of special insight, this special knowledge 
into who God is, what he's like, that they had a special way of discerning his will. So you better follow me because I have this secret knowledge about what God really wants. They had the deep answers. They really knew who God was and what he was like. But Paul says here, no, no, I'm working, I'm struggling, I'm agonizing so that you may see Colossians, so that you may see Life Point Stewart's Creek, that Jesus is the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. This is a beautiful thing here that Paul's doing. Look at the humility of Paul here. Paul is not trying to compete with the false teachers in Colossae who were there. He wasn't trying to compete with the false teachers in Colossae by proving that he was smarter than them, that he was wiser, that he was the one the people should be following. Instead, Paul points the people to Christ. Paul answers the false teachers by writing the most Christological letter he ever wrote because truth, the will of God, the character of God is found in Christ. Not in preachers or spiritual gurus. Our job as your ministers, as your servants, which is what minister means in Old English, as your pastors, is not to get up here and be your spiritual guru, but is to avail you to more and more of Jesus Christ. Our job is to get up here and show you Jesus. Because truth, beauty, wisdom, knowledge is not found in Jordan or RC. It is found in Jesus Christ. And that's who we point you to. He is the one we proclaim. He is the one upon whom we stake our hope. He is our foundation. And true wisdom is found in him. Jesus Christ does not just possess the truth. This is very important. Jesus Christ does not just possess the truth. He is the truth. Jesus Christ is truer than true. He is the precondition upon which all truth is built. He's the one that allows truth to even be. <laughs> and I'm telling you, my greatest fear for this body, for this community, the thing that keeps me up at night, the thing that concerns me, is not suffering or persecution in whatever form that may and will come. My greatest fear isn't that people are going to hate us here. I'm not saying they won't, but I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of people picketing outside of our doors because of what we preach. My greatest fear for this church and what we work tirelessly to fight against is subtle deception. Subtle deception. Look again at verses four through five. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The road to compromise, the road to apostasy, which means abandoning the faith, is a road paved one brick at a time. I'm not worried that our church is going to start teaching critical race theory or theological liberalism or the prosperity gospel next Sunday. I don't feel threatened by 19-year-old Mormon missionaries rolling up here with their white shirts on and their bicycles. 
and you should not be intimidated by them either. Do you know a lot about Mormonism? No? Well, you know probably about as much as those boys do. I really do pity them. What concerns me are the subtle lies that sound plausible, the lies that sound like truths, the ideas that might slip under the radar, the lies that each and every one of us in here believe presently but are not aware that we believe them. Culture impacts us more than we think. Culture informs our minds more than we think it does. We have to be on guard against the lies that we believe and do not realize that we believe yet and constantly allow the word to root those out in us. See, 99% truth and 1% falsehood is the most dangerous type of lie because it's so hard to detect. This is what heresy often is. It's just enough truth to sound reasonable, to sound believable. Heretics often have scripture to support their ideas. This has been a struggle all throughout church history. The people teaching the most blatant, wicked heresies had enough scripture that they could kind of twist out of context, twist the meaning, so that it sounds reasonable what they're saying. And many times the lies are too difficult to detect. See, Satan is subtle, brothers and sisters. He's like a magician doing something in one hand, causing your eyes to drift over here. Meanwhile, he's doing something else over here that you're not even aware of. So when we talk about, this is what I fear, truly. And I'm, I, I talk about, this is what I fear. All the stuff that we talk about, CRT, LGBT, transgenderism, all this crazy stuff is, is here and it directs our eyes. It's easy to see. Meanwhile, could it be that this is sort of what Satan wants us to be looking at? Meanwhile, he's doing all sorts of things behind our back and we have no idea because we're looking at all the obvious things, which by the way, we have to look at. We have to be able to speak to and confront. But Satan's not dumb. He's a lot of things, but he's not stupid. He's an expert in what he does. And often what is unnoticed is too subtle to be seen until it's too late. I've heard that in the sport of rowing, I'm not big into that sport, but I've heard that in that sport, the most detrimental thing that someone can do is not row against everyone else or even not row at all. That's not the most detrimental thing. Oftentimes, the rest of the rowers can overcome that. Even someone rowing against them, they can overcome. The most dangerous thing, the most detrimental thing you can do is have the one guy who's rowing off by one degree because it slowly drifts you off course. And by the time you realize it, it's that much harder to correct or it's too late to correct. As soon as our eyes shift one degree away from Jesus Christ, we can be deluded into believing all sorts of lies. Life point, this is how churches fall. This is how churches fall. How do faithful churches collapse? Slowly, then suddenly. How is it well, before I say that, let me say years of decades even of minor drifting culminate to an all-out rejection of truth. This is precisely what has happened to some of the most historic 
Protestant denominations, and we can see it today. How is it that the Methodist church, I'm not speaking about all Methodists here, by the way, but how is it that institutionally, the United Methodist Church went from winning thousands for Christ hundreds of years ago. They were winning thousands for Christ. Thousands upon thousands. John Wesley, who founded the church, was one of the greatest soul winners to ever live. How did they go from that to appointing female pastors who preside over gay weddings? How did the once strong Episcopal church go from contenders for the word of God, championing the word of God, to officially, institutionally denying that the word of God is inerrant. Which means that from an official standpoint, the official Episcopal church would deny that the word of God is errorless. Not saying every Episcopal, by the way, but their leaders. How does this happen? How did the Presbyterian church, PCUSA, that is, Go from defenders of the Christian faith to defenders of transgenderism and abortion. How does this happen to these once thriving, historic, strong expressions of Christianity? Slowly, then suddenly. Minor, seemingly inconsequential shifts away from truth. Lies slowly eroding the conscience of the people until finally there's nothing resembling Christianity left. Once we fail to see Jesus for who he is, the king and God of all people in all places at all times, we will find ourselves on a trajectory toward places that we never thought we'd go, believing in things we never thought that we would believe in. As soon as anything other than scripture, the word of God takes the place of highest authority, whether that be scholarship, experience, emotions, politics, popularity, we can know that we are standing on a sinking ship. The gap between biblical fidelity and compromise is 66 books of Holy Scripture. The truth of Christ is found nowhere else but Scripture. So fidelity to God's word is everything if we are going to stand strong. We need the sufficiency and inerrancy of God's word if we are going to remain faithful to King Jesus. So Paul says that he struggles and agonizes over the church so that they would not compromise, so that they would not be deceived. And the way that they will not compromise and the way that they will not be deceived is by cultivating strong hearts and strong minds. So let's look first at what it means to have strong hearts. Look again at verses two through three. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's desire is that the church would be encouraged. Now, when I say encouraged, I don't mean just like feel happy and feel good and everyone's having a great time. That's not what he means by encouraged. That's often how we can mean encouraged. The word encouraged means to brace or strengthen beside something. Paul's vision is that the church would not be knocked off center 
that they would stand against the deception of false teachers as a community with strong hearts, that they would be a body of believers committed to bracing one another, to holding fast to one another, to supporting one another and strengthening one another. And this comes through what Paul says next when he says, being knit together in love. I wanna park here for a moment. To be knit together means unity. It means to be unified. It's about sharing life together as a community rooted in love for each other. Now, again, this isn't the cultural idea of love that's just overly tolerant and overly agreeable. Being loving with one another doesn't just mean playing nice with each other all the time. Biblical love is rooted in the gospel of Christ. It is love that is founded in truth and committed to Christ and his word. When we are knit together around that kind of love, Christ-centered love, then we hold to one another. We correct one another. We support one another. We celebrate one another. And together we help shape one another into the image of Jesus Christ. Christian love is a defense against deception. Christian love is a defense against deception. Love binds us together so that it's that much harder to tear us apart from each other. The more tightly we are knit together in love, the more difficult it will be to divide us. There is a reason why people who deconstruct or apostatize, abandon the faith, typically begin by distancing themselves from the church. They pull away from the church. And oftentimes, they're not even planning on leaving. They just slowly begin to step away. This is why we're always up here hounding you. We've got to commit to the church. We've got to commit to the church. It's not just because it feels good to see this room full of people. It's because it will be detrimental to your soul if you don't. Not to mention your children and especially your grandchildren. If you walk away from church today, you can be sure that your grandchildren will not even have an idea of who Jesus Christ is. This is why we need the church. See, we can't encourage ourselves. We can't love ourselves in the way that we need to be loved by other people. That's a benefit of commitment to the body. You can't often, well, not you, but me too. We can't see our own blind spots many times. We often won't say hard things to ourselves. We often make excuses for our actions and let ourselves get away with all sorts of things. We need people who are walking with us in our lives in love. People we study the word with. People who love us enough to tell us when we're starting to veer off course that one degree off when they start to notice that in us, who love us enough to tell us when we're misunderstanding the Bible. If you're a life group leader or a D group leader, one of the most loving things that you can do for the people in your group is tell them that their interpretation of a particular passage of scripture is incorrect. Saying, what does this passage mean to you is a very dangerous habit to form. This isn't, the Bible isn't individualized to each and every one of us. It means what it means. The Bible doesn't really conform to my life. I conform to it. And I need people in my life to help show me, hey man, scripture says this, but I notice this in you and I, I wanna help bring you back. People can call us out when we become accidental heretics, which we've all been there. 
I've said things in the past before, and I look back and I think that is straight heresy. That is like incredibly wrong that I said that. Forgive me, Lord. Paul struggles that our hearts would be strong, but we cannot be strong without the church, which is founded upon the word of God. And one of the best ways that our community does this is through our group's ministry. Listen, I've sat in rooms with many of you and I've heard the ways that your participation in groups has changed your life and shapes your, your walk with Christ. Uh, a few, like, like a month or so ago, I don't know how long, maybe a few weeks ago, a month ago, I sat with all of our group leaders. Uh, we sat over there in the kids' building. We had a big dinner celebration of, of what they're doing, kind of a little bit of a training time. And I, I sat and I listened to all of our group leaders, D group leaders and life group leaders. And I was particularly moved by one leader who talked to me about how he noticed in his D group when he started his group, none of his guys were reading the Bible at all. And how after almost a year walking together, all of them had cultivated a habit of, of daily going, to, going and spending time with the, with the Lord and his word. Okay, that's good news for their grandchildren. That's good news for their children. That actually changes eternity for generations. Men and women devoted themselves to Scripture. I heard leaders talk about the way their group members had become stronger parents and had been discipling their children well, teaching them to love the Lord. I know people who've walked with their groups through seasons of intense sorrow and pain and were lifted up and supported, sustained by the biblical encouragement, the loving encouragement of the people walking alongside them. This is how you build a church with strong hearts, by challenging, encouraging, and building up one another with the word of God. This is what the writer of Hebrews was echoing when he writes this in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do we do that? How do we stir up one another? not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, it is impossible to stir up one another to love and good works or to encourage each other without meeting together, without being together. Listen, there's so much evil and chaos out there in the world that, that causes all sorts of discouragement for us, all sorts of worry and anxiety for us. But meeting together encourages us. It helps us put our lives in perspective. We need the people of God to often remind us of the things that we forget. You don't have to blow your group members' minds every time you talk. Oftentimes, the most encouraging things that we need are the things that we know but have forgotten. That Jesus rules over all the rulers of the world, wicked or righteous. That Jesus is not threatened by the things that threaten us, nor is he worried about the things that worry us. When we divorce ourselves from biblical community, we lose sight of this and we spiral into anger, anxiety, fear, and confusion. And listen, this type of community is essential if we are going to guard against that one degree of compromise that we may often slip into if we're not careful. That one degree, those things that we may say or believe that might not sound wrong or may not sound like a big deal, but set us on a trajectory that's end is destruction. What do I mean when I say that? By the way, I'm, I'm gonna go through a couple of these things here and some of this might step on your toes a little bit, I don't know, but I hope you know that when we step on your toes it's because we love you. We want to help you. 
These are things that I've heard, not just from here, but, you know, around. Listen, Jordan, I know that's good, man. That's good for other people. I, I get it, man. We need each other. That's good for other people. But listen, I'm strong. I'm strong. So maybe some weaker people might need what you're talking about, but I'm good, man. I listen to my sermons. I listen to my podcast. I'm good. Don't worry about me. Or, no, 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 listen, we do value the church. We love the church. We want to we raise our kids in the church, but the travel ball schedule is just so crazy this year, and it's so hard for us to be committed. And so, unfortunately, we have to take 45% of the Sundays of the year and just disappear. I cannot tell you when I was a student pastor how many parents were shocked that their kids, when they graduated high school, wanted nothing to do with the church who lived that life. I know I need other believers speaking into my life. I know I need it. You're right, man. I'll be the first to admit that I need it. I'm just so busy right now. You wouldn't believe how many things I have going on right now. Or, listen, my relationship with Jesus is personal. It is me and Jesus. This is a per- we got our own thing going on here. And really, I don't need anyone else speaking into this because it's really none of their business. I'm good with Jesus. I have my personal relationship with Jesus Christ a phrase that I wish we would erase from our vocabulary as Christians. We, as a body of believers, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This isn't you flying solo. A a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, divorced from his church, is not a relationship with Jesus Christ. (laughs) Or, I've said this because this is very common. Listen, I know what the Bible says. I know what my pastors say. But I just really feel like God is telling me right now, blank, whatever. Here's some free advice to you because I love you. This is free. If God did not say it in his word, he did not say it to you. If God did not say it in his word, he did not say it to you. This is not how Christianity works, okay? You don't get your own little private correspondence with God where God gives you all these little revelations that are equal in authority to scripture. I'm not saying God doesn't convict you. I'm not saying God doesn't lay things on your heart. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying God does not give you words that hold equal weight and authority as scripture. God's not talking to you. He speaks to you through his word. If God's word doesn't say it, God did not say it to you. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you would like to hear God's word audibly, you can read your Bible out loud. That's not original, by the way. I have to, I have, have to be fair. A lot of people say that. <laughs> All, here's why this, this is dangerous. Allowing our feelings and intuition to hold the same authority in our minds as scripture leads to all sorts of compromise. Your intuition may be valuable, but one thing it is not is authoritative. It is not God. I've heard these things. Listen, I know God says not to divorce. I know, but I feel like God's giving me peace about this decision. Hey, no, he's not, actually. God's not gonna tell you something that disagrees with his word. Actually, you wouldn't believe it, Pastor. God's actually telling me that I need to go to a different church. Can you believe it? The wildest thing, I don't want to, but God's telling me I have to, I guess. And just so happens that that church does a lot of things that I like better than here. 
Lucky me. I know God tells me to never, ever lie, to never lie ever, but I really feel like God's telling me that the best way to love my neighbor is to call them whatever pronouns they want to be called right now. I love the Bible and all, but do I really have to take everything it says literally? Like I believe with like the spirit of what the Bible says. Besides, I'm following Jesus, not the Bible, right? Christians follow Jesus, not the Bible. We're called to be Christ-like, not biblical, right? Being knit together in love means that other believers keep us from these subtle and not so subtle deceptions. Loving your brothers and sisters means not letting them get away with saying things like this. Loving them enough to fight for them, even if that means fighting against them for them sometimes. If we are going to have strong hearts that stand fixed and faithful, it requires that we press into community and commit to sharing life with the body of Christ. If you aren't, so therefore, if you aren't in a group, I want you to come talk to us. I want you to take that connect card out. Whether, right, I, I won't be offended if you do it right now even. Fill out, let us know that you want to learn about, about being in a group. Come talk to us after the service. We want to get you connected to a group. Make plans, by the way, can we throw up the graphic real quick? Make plans to attend our group's interest meeting on the 14th. We're getting announcements just kind of spread out through this thing today. And so if you are interested in learning about what it means to be in a group and what kind of groups we have available, make plans to attend on September 14th right here in, in the auditorium at the Creek. I'm going to talk about LifePoint Institute in a minute. Uh, so we're going to, we can take this graphic down. Uh, down now, but then we're going to put it up later. Um, listen, this push that we're doing for groups, I want you to know this is who we are. This is who LifePoint is today. If you're a member here, you've been around here for a long time and you're not plugged into a group, I'm just going to give you fair warning. You're going to start feeling uncomfortable because we're not letting off this. We're not going to let off this commitment. We want and part of what you agreed to when you signed your membership covenant too, also, if you remember, was commitment to groups. And we told you in your membership meeting that we were gonna hold you to that. Remember? Well, we are going to do it. We're men of our word. We're going to push you to be involved in groups because we see this as an essential buttress against compromise, against plausible arguments. So Paul doesn't just struggle for strong hearts. He also struggles for strong minds. Uh, this is why I'm so excited to share about LifePoint Institute with you in just a few minutes, but more on that later. Um, let's talk about strong minds. This isn't gonna be as long as the other point, um, just FYI. I know how everyone gets around this point. <laughs> let's look again at verse two. Paul prays that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the uh, riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Paul doesn't just desire that the Colossians will be unified around the gospel with strong hearts. He desires that they would also have strong minds with full assurance in Christ. In the ancient world, the heart, cardia, was not only dealing with feelings and emotions, but also the mind and thoughts. The scripture does not make the distinction between hearts and minds in the same way that we do today, as if they're completely separate categories. The Bible treats the heart and the mind as one and the same, often interchangeable. Paul even talks about evil thoughts coming from the heart. If we don't know how to think, how to use our minds, we will be easily deceived and our hearts will be led astray. Some people think, that the Pharisees were all about the head and Jesus was all about 
the heart. Okay? That the Pharisees were all about the head, the mind, that they knew things, that it's like they knew God, but they didn't really love him. Wrong. Wrong. That's not true. They didn't know God. That was the whole point. Jesus said, if you knew the Father, you would know me. They didn't know the Father. They did not know God, which is why they did not know his Son. The Pharisees didn't know all that much about God in the grand scheme of things. So often we can have this aversion to cultivating a strong Christian mind because we assume that the mind is associated with the Pharisees and the heart is associated with Christ. God doesn't want my mind, he wants my heart. No, he wants all of you. But the truth, the truth is a matter of the mind before it is a matter of the heart. And if we are weak in our minds, then we will not be able to contend for or defend the truth. We may not even be able to know what the truth is, to discern it between truth and falsehoods, to discern what these plausible arguments are. You know, when the FBI or the Secret Service are, are, are training people to, uh, to detect counterfeit bills, they don't teach them by having them study the fakes. They teach them by studying every single detail of the real thing, by sharpening their senses to what is true so that they can easily detect error because they know what the truth is. We have to know what God's word says. We have to know who Christ is. We need to know what God does and doesn't do because often the most subtle deceptions grow out of things that sound like they could be right if we have not cultivated strong minds that are able to discern truth from falsehood. And the way that we stand faithfully against the delusions of culture is by placing our mind on Christ through his word. It is by studying Christ in the scriptures, both personally and in community. Your 15-minute quiet time that you do three times a week ain't gonna cut it, guys. Not in the world that we're living in today. The stakes are too high. The false teaching is too prevalent. The pressure is too intense. It's by studying Christ in the scripture, both personally and in community. It's by sitting under Christ preached in the gathering regularly, often. It's by meditating upon Christ through prayer throughout your day and by communicating with him through his word, communing with him, I should say, through his word. By committing his word to memory, planting it deep in our hearts, by buying a great study Bible, it's gonna help us understand what his word says. By connecting with a group, it's gonna help us study the Bible together. Here at LifePoint, we are committed to building strong minds among our people. I'm not just gonna sit here and tell you cultivate strong minds. I'm gonna say, here's how we're gonna equip you. We throw out that graphic again. So we're not just talking about groups, we're also talking about LifePoint Institute. So LifePoint Institute's one of my, it's kind of like my baby at LifePoint right now. And so I'm very, very excited to share about this with you guys. LifePoint Institute, I'm gonna give you a little nugget here and then hopefully Wednesday you're gonna learn a little bit more. Part of what LifePoint is about, LifePoint Institute is about is our church's effort to cultivate and build strong minds among our people by challenging you to think deeply about your faith without overwhelming you. I know some people hear deep and they're like, oh, I don't know, that's not for me. No, it is for you. We're not gonna overwhelm you with this, but this is going to be a great stepping stone for people to begin really thinking deeply and working out those muscles in the brain when it comes to our faith. We also 
want to help you through LifePoint Institute, help you think, learn how to think about and apply God's work to some of the major issues of our day. Can you throw up that... Um, forum graphic. So we have a forum coming up on September 25th. A lot of you came to our forum we did last January where we talked about LGBT in the church, um, which was uh, phenomenal. I was really thankful for that. Some of you came to the one we did on prayer last April, I believe. Well, in just a couple weeks on Sunday, September 25th at the Smyrna campus from 430 to 6, we're going to have Shai Lin come and he's going to speak about the church and ethnic unity. So as people who want to think deeply about how to apply all of God's word to all of our lives and all of God's world, uh, it's not just enough for us to get up here and say, hey, CRT is bad. Not enough. We have to talk about what, what does the Bible say? How should we think about this biblically? So Shai Lin is a, um, he's a, a Christian um, uh, musician, rapper, but he's also a theologian, speaker, pastor, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, speaker. And so he's great. Like he's like, he's like speaks at conferences that I was actually thought he would just blow us off. And so I'm very thankful that he's coming. And so he's gonna be here. So please make plans to attend. He's actually gonna preach that morning for us. So as you come here, we're gonna listen to him preach. It's gonna be the screen here. We don't normally do that. Uh, but we're gonna hear him preach in the morning and then we're gonna hear one other session in the evening from him. And then we're gonna have an opportunity to, to share uh, or to ask questions to him. So I hope that you make plans to attend that. Um, listen, We want here, we labor here to cultivate in you and ourselves and in you strong hearts and strong minds so that we would not be deceived to believing the lies of this world. We want from you to be knit together in love so that we can be strong and we can resist the lies of the enemy, the plausible arguments of false teaching, resist sin in our own lives and cultivate within this community a light that shines bright. The light that shines the farthest is the one that shines the brightest at home, amen? We wanna shine bright here at home and that's going to happen by taking seriously the call to discipleship that God gives us. I'm imploring you because I love you and I care for you. Learn about getting connected. Learn about what it means to commit to this body and have a group of people in your group who commits to you, who love you, who will walk with you. And test me on this, test us on this. See if your walk with Christ does not increase, does not improve, that your love for him doesn't grow, that your understanding of his word does not deepen. We must build strong hearts and strong minds so that we can be the people who resist wickedness and show the world, the greatness of our Lord Jesus. Cool? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word, your blessed word, within which is found the riches and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You said in the book of Hebrews that long ago and many times and in many ways you spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days you've spoken to us by your son whom you appointed heir of all things. Help us to know that when we are in scripture, when we devote ourselves to scripture, we are devoting ourselves to Christ who has spoken through it. Lord, help us to be a people who are knit together in love, creating a framework for groups 
only allows us to have a system wherein love can thrive, but we can't actually cultivate love ourselves. We can't preach love into the hearts of anyone. Only your Holy Spirit can do that. And so we ask you, Lord, to deepen in our hearts our love for one another, our love for your word, our love for the church with all of her flaws, with all of our problems that we have. Lord, help our hearts to love the church. Help our children to love the church by watching their parents love it and be committed to it and devote themselves to it. Father, we want to honor you in this church, in this community, because you are worthy of it, but also because we want people in all these neighborhoods around us to honor you as well. So Lord, move through us, help us, shape us through your word, produce strong hearts and strong minds within us so that we may honor you the way you deserve to be honored. We say all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.